Good morning, everyone, and happy Monday. It is currently 6 a.m., and I am awake earlier than usual because I'm about to go get my COVID booster. Um, so I'm a little tired right now, so if some things I say don't make sense, please forgive me. I was in Miami last week, and it's just wild because I was there for like three days, and I came back, and it seemed like everyone in New York City has COVID and um, obviously this is not what I wanted to return to and it's pretty upsetting to, um, you know, feel like you're literally living in Groundhog's Day and waking up in March of 2020 and it just feels like it's repeating itself. Um, but I think, you know, and I'm not going to get into this too much, but one thing I've been trying to remind myself because I definitely have been feeling um, more down and sad given that, you know, these seeing all my friends or a lot of my friends have COVID now because even being vaccinated and um, having the booster shot, which is pretty, you know, discouraging. <laughs> but I think I just, I just keep reminding myself that at the end of the day, uh, this COVID's going to be around for a while and it's going to be something that we have to kind of accept and live with and it's it, even though it sucks like so much I think you just have to look at it as something again that you have to live with but not let it overtake our lives and not you know be consumed by the news and be consumed by all of the you know really upsetting things that are coming out um or being posted online it's just like Again, that like soul sucking, like influx of information. I feel like I'm just there's like a tsunami of COVID information being thrown at me, and it's definitely overwhelming and um, not what I want to see over the holidays. So basically, this is a long way of me saying if you're feeling down about the rise of COVID cases and the fact that it feels like this is just never going away, I'm right there with you. And um, let's, you know, try to make a mission to just still enjoy the holidays, being safe, but also, you know, with the mindset of, think, let's not look back on this year. I was like, let's not make this, you know, kind of taint our view of 2021 because all in all, there were shitty things that happened, but I, I thought it was a pretty good year. Okay. Um, so that was first things first. Um, second things, I wanted to quickly just talk, you know, about two of my amazing sponsors. One of them being Talkspace. Obviously, Talkspace is something that's so close to my heart, being a therapy, a therapy app and with a mission of really making therapy more affordable and accessible for all. I think I know that right now um, the holidays is a particularly difficult time for myself and for really anyone just experiencing um, you know, anxiety, depression, or just any, you know, about, about having any mental health battles. And there is, I mean, I know for a fact that there is a rise in interest in therapy at this time of year. So um, all that is to say, if you are, you know, looking for support, and obviously, you know, it's a busy time of year, therapists are also, you know, people, they take off time for the holidays, they take off time for vacation. Um, and, it can be even aside from that it can be difficult to find a therapist near you that takes your insurance or you know that um has availability just because of the national shortage of therapists that there currently is and i think this is such a key time when talk, something like talk space comes into play because you can literally be matched with a therapist the day you download the app and that is something that is so unique to teletherapy and um, Talkspace does a really great job of and so you know if you're just having a really bad day one day and you cannot find a way or you don't know how to contact a therapist or you know reach out or you don't know what you're looking for Talkspace helps you that through that process um, so also with my discount you can get a hundred dollars off your three your first month so again like 
that's such a huge deal. Even if you just need to talk space to get through the holidays, I highly encourage you to just check it out. So if you go to Talkspace.com and then um, at checkout, enter the code Zoe, Z-O-E, you'll get $100 off your first month of therapy. Um, so that's the first thing I wanted to mention. And then I also wanted to quickly mention an a um, sponsor that I haven't really brought up in the past, but it's, you know, at least I know for me, I rarely like to cook, um, but especially during the holidays, I'm just like the laziest person. I'm like excited to make a big pumpkin cake for Christmas and that's about it. Um, but Sakara has been instrumental in just really helping me redefine my own relationship with food. Um, and, you know, it's really empowered me to see that like what we put into our bodies helps fuel us and it impacts us on like a physical level, but also an emotional and spiritual level. So, um, they, Sakara, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a meal subscription program, but it's different than a lot of other meal subscription programs because it's um, all fresh meals, teas, supplements, um, et cetera, that are all organic, plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO and have no refined sugar. Um, I know that sounds like a lot of just, you know, words I shot out right there, but um, it truly is like really good food. I can 100% testify that for that. And um, my personal favorites are their breakfasts, if anyone cares. Um, so yeah, that's just a quick few plugs. Um, but before I get into this episode, um, which was awesome, I it's funny because I've, I spoke with Jacqueline about a year ago now. Um, and since this was our second episode together, I was like, oh, it's probably going to be shorter. You know, can't run over 40 minutes. And then we just started talking and it was like old friends catching up. Like it felt awesome. And um, it's a longer episode. So whoops. Sorry, but it's really great. I think you're all going to really love it. Uh, but before I jump into it, just please note that this podcast episode and any and all content or services available on or through the episode are provided for general non-commercial information purposes only and do not con- uh, constitute the practice of medical or any other professional judgment, advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And they should not be considered or used as a substitute for independent professional judgment, advice, diagnosis, or treatment of a duly licensed and qualified healthcare provider. Um, and in case of a medical emergency, you should immediately call 911. The information provided here is not a reflection of Duke University. Um, so just a quick PSA on that. And then without further ado, here is Jacqueline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sauce in the City. Today, I'm so excited to be back here with Jacqueline Trumbull, um, who is a clinical psychology PhD student, PhD student, excuse me, at Duke. Um, I kind of blended the two together, like PhD Duke student. Um, and <laughs> she's also the second person, the only the second person I've had on Sauce in the City twice, with the first being my grandma. So huge in other words she's a total badass because everyone knows how much I love my grandma so welcome back I was so honored thank you I was floored when you said that yeah she's, <laughs> as I as I was like saying before we started recording my grandma is like the best person in the world I love her so much and she's just like the coolest human ever and she's my favorite person alive so um in other words, <laughs> big shoes to fill. An incredible company. <laughs> no, but and Zoe and I, we spent the last New Year's Eve together. I know. So that's fun fact. I think about we that all the, the time, and I still have my onesie. <laughs> <laughs> it has like a huge hole though, in like the butt. I'm pretty sure. Like, oh no! Like, or no, I think it's in the arm. But yeah, I still have my bunny onesie. Um, and crazy that it's been almost a year because. It's almost 2022. Um, but yeah, anyways, um, you know, so for anyone who is newer to the podcast, um, if you don't mind just kind of quickly introducing yourself, telling me a little bit more about, you know, where you're from, what you're studying, what you're doing, uh, what you're up to, what you've been up to recently. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, so I mean, my name is Jacqueline. I grew up in West Virginia. Um, I am getting my PhD at Duke University right now in clinical psychology. So that means I do both psych research and I see patients. 
uh, which is my favorite part of my job. I also have a podcast called A Little Help for Our Friends, and that's a mental health podcast as well. Um, Zoe and I talked a lot about a lot about it in our first um, episode together. But basically, I, we talk about like how mental health can affect the friends and families of people who are struggling. So um, that's one of the big things I'm up to right now. I also just got engaged on Friday, so that's pretty exciting. Um, and other than that, I was on The Bachelor back in um, season 22, Ari's season. So I think we'll be talking a little bit about The Bachelor today as well. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's I'm just like getting so many memories because I bet it'd be one of those crazy weird things if I look back. It was probably like literally on this day or something because uh-huh. I yeah I guess it was for before New Year's Eve or New Year's and then it's and then I also had Paul your fiance on the podcast afterwards that's right so yeah it's just so crazy how it's come full circle and just congrats on the engagement it, that's so exciting thank you oh it's so it's so crazy to think I don't know there's I think someone much has happened in this year and even just you reminding me of like what we talked about and like family member things and I mean, a lot of what we talked about was like I had a, you know, a really difficult relationship with a family member at that time who I wasn't speaking to. And that just made me take a step back and think about how I'm texting her right now and like how much our relationship has come since last year and how how much forgiveness there's been. And I think completely unrelated to the main topic of this podcast, but just wanted to like literally publicly thank you for you know helping me with that because that was a really really low point in my life and I like am so grateful every day that it's you know obviously there's still things that are deeply rooted and need to you know be professionally unpacked with a therapist but overall my relationship with this person is is back and better than it's ever been so I'm really happy to hear that yeah. that's really great just, and thank yeah. you like oh, that's so crazy I really like that was the first time I thought about that <laughs> I remember talking about like narcissistic boyfriends but <laughs> um, <laughs> but but less so the the that I must have you know deliberately pushed that out of my brain um so kind of as you mentioned you know I wanted to bring you back on the podcast to discuss um the intersection between two things that I'm really passionate about, which are psychology and the Bachelor franchise, um, both of which you are, you know, very familiar with, <laughs> and intimately from literally being studying psychology and being on the Bachelor. Um, and I kind of brought you on because lately I've been really fascinated by. I don't know if careless is the right word, but I'm. I have written down care like the careless use of vulnerability on mm-hmm. the bachelor and the bachelorette. Um, and I think it's become more common in more recent seasons where it's almost like the show has become some sort of like competition of who has the craziest sob story. Right. Um, so to speak. And, it makes me think about trauma bonding and how, you know, by having this type of like this way of, of like such intense vulnerability on after knowing someone for maybe even like 24 hours or two weeks, like how Mm -hmm. it can lead to what's not necessarily a healthy relationship. And I wanted to get, you know, your perspective as someone who both was, on the show, but also knows the, you know, psychological reasons behind um, why that's like seemingly effective, but also can be very detrimental. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack because I think there's a lot of dynamics at play. I mean, trauma bonding is, I think there's like a couple of terms floating around, like trauma bonding is typically meant to refer to a type of relationship that is like actively abusive. So um, trauma bonding can be thought of as pretty similar to Stockholm syndrome, where often you have a relationship where um, let's say one person is 
a narcissist just to bring us back full circle to last yeah. episode. And, <laughs> and the other person is um, being abused and they are, uh, they're feeling a real kinship with this person that they're in a relationship with in part because the abuser is doing something called an intermittent rewards schedule. So they are doling out their praise and their affection and, um, and their occasional vulnerability at kind of random points that make it unpredictable. And so the person who's being abused becomes addicted. And they'll often explain away the abuser's behavior by saying like, oh, they've been through such a tough life themselves. And so I don't, I mean, that could be relevant here um, where <laughs> you certainly get intermittent rewards on The Bachelor. And that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's <a> <laughs> yeah. And, and just like, right, like little um, rewards of like affection and validation and feeling special. Then there's just trauma sharing, which is like, okay, then that can be further broken down into, is it the person sharing their trauma with me or are we having this like shared trauma together? And, you know, and I think like both of those things can happen on The Bachelor. I think The Bachelor itself is a somewhat traumatizing experience, particularly once you're off the show and you're thrust into fame really, really unprepared. And so I wouldn't be totally surprised if some of these relationships are failing because of the um, kind of unfolding trauma they're going through. Um, I don't know if maybe there's a better word here for trauma. I don't want to like, I don't want to overuse that word because compared to people who have been sexually abused or something like fame might not feel like an appropriate um, sort of trauma might not feel like an appropriate descriptor there, but um. I think the problem on The Bachelor with like sharing the trauma stories, like sharing the, um, the, the bad things that have happened is that that can give the person a sense that their trauma really defines their entire identity. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening to their character arc in a way that I, I feel like could be pretty unhelpful for the person out in the real world. Um you know, suddenly a person goes from being a full flesh person to a sexual assault survivor, um, or, you know, they've survived a parent's suicide or they were suicidal. And, and now that's their entire story arc. And the way the conversation tends to unfold that we see on TV, I don't know how this goes in real life because this was not my experience on The Bachelor is like, you know, they sit down, the person shares their trauma, the bachelor or bachelorette says, thank you for giving me this morsel. I accept oh, I can see what a strong person you are now, which is again, kind of defining. Mm -hmm. Like I can see how this trauma made you into who you are, which I'm not sure is necessarily the best framing. Um, That's also not a manipulative thing on the part of the bachelor to say, it's just, I I don't know. Um, And then, you know, they give them a rose, they go on in the season, they've got this like um, fan backing and it's all surrounding this incredibly difficult point in their life. I can see how some people would experience that as healing and other people would experience that as like re-traumatizing or as just getting them back admired in a place where they had already moved on from. So does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you actually, it's, it's funny and not the right word, but like, I think this whole time I've been using trauma bonding and the completely like I don't I think I completely misunderstood what it meant and I actually was recently on a podcast where I was being the one being interviewed and I referred to it and I quickly googled it to get her definition and exactly uh. what you said showed up and I was like nah that's not what I was like, like that's not right but it's like the oversharing um about really personal experiences and I think that's what the definition I was giving to that phrase so wiping that out that's not the right term but I think what I what what I'm referring to and I think what we're kind of more speaking to is the way in which it's again more in recent seasons and I even though I obviously don't know any person on the bachelor or bachelorette right now um yeah. or really on recent seasons personally or too well but I definitely think and imagine that you know the producers have a lot of are a big part as to why it's become so intense but it's almost like in the past couple of seasons it seemed like if the person didn't share a story that was 
so heartbreaking or so defining and um, dark or deep, the the lead would have to react and say, oh, they're they're keeping a wall up where they might uh-huh. just yeah. not have, like fortunately not have had to endure something like a parent suicide or, um, you know, a sexual assault or which is, I mean, I would hope most people didn't have to go through that, but it seemed like, like the person, like the, the contestant almost had to, whether they were willing or whether they were ready to or not reveal something about themselves. Um, which again, like, you know, someone I'm, I'm just thinking of people on recent shows, like I think of Zach Clark and how he was super confident and proud of his sobriety and ready to share about that, which if, if that's your story and you're ready to talk about it, that's amazing, but that's not the story for everyone. And not everyone mm-hmm. has had the therapy and had the resources to heal from something that's so difficult in the past and be ready to talk about it to one person, let alone the entire world or whoever's viewing the bachelor. Yeah. That, that speaks to a lot of like my, my discomfort with the show. Um, so it's not just the problematic nature of like the lead and the contestant talking about this trauma, but it's how did they get to this conversation? Was this a semi-coerced conversation? (laughs) Is this what the contestant felt like they needed to do in order to get another date in order to be accepted, um, in order to be treated well. And, um, that's pretty fucked up by the way. Can I curse on this podcast? Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I, I remember that Tasha season specifically when I think it was Ben Mm -hmm. who was talking about what he'd been through and I was not convinced he was ready to have that conversation. And that was pretty uncomfortable, not because what he was saying was shameful or because the subject matter was uncomfortable, but just because I was like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm watching a conversation that's totally consensual, you know, um, the fact that he hadn't told key people in his life, but he somehow was standing there telling all of America, maybe that went okay. I'm not suggesting that that's like, you know, um, an illegitimate thing, but it certainly raises questions. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I do, I also appreciate what you said about then the response being, well, you're not opening up to me enough. And then as soon as they share a story like that, then it's called opening up. But actually, that's not really what opening up is. I mean, that is that's what it can look like, but you can you can share what you went through and still remain totally closed off to that person. And then and then just feel violated afterwards. <laughs> like I was pressured to say this really horrible thing that happened to me. And now I really don't want to connect with you. Yeah. And it's so true and that's the exact example I think of because I also remember watching that and you know having like lost a friend to suicide and having been at very low points in my own life I just remember thinking like like there as a even as a viewer like there was no mm-hmm. you know trigger warning given out before that it it, it felt and I think even like looking back again it kind of goes back to just me thinking of okay what is the producers or what are the producers like motives behind this and in recent seasons it's almost been like there have been so many more topics or um conversations about mental health but it's not been about mental health it's been about like people who have had very dark experiences involving either their mental health or the mental health of a parent or a friend. So it's, yeah, it's been almost, I don't even know the right, it's, it's almost been like forced in a way. That's just, I mean, as a mental health advocate, I'm sure, you know, feel similarly. It's, I always get excited when they're like the conversation about mental health is being opened up and people are talking about it, but it's almost felt like two and like they went from zero to a hundred of just like going from, you know, not speaking about anything in depth or any, like any topics in depth at all to let's just talk about these really, really just these stories that are heartbreaking and like deserve more than 
a you know 20 minute dinner where they're not eating their meals to discuss them yeah well yeah I mean it's tough because exactly as you said I mean I think there's a good that happens which is people feel uh less alone there you know stigma comes down slightly around mental health and that's that's great but they are using contestants who don't know how to handle this as the spokespeople I mean I've said this before but like people on The Bachelor typically don't know how to be famous they don't know how to effectively navigate the the attention that comes after being on the show and um you know, I think this is especially a problem for um, contestants of color because they aren't used to having, you know, hundreds of people spewing racist hate at them. And that's also like a point of conversation that is being pushed on contestants right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what kind of like fallback they're getting for that. Um, like literally just right now, like having a conversation, I think as a black contestant about race, guarantees that you're going to get a slew of racist hate messages and on the one hand it's like that's a really important conversation to have we need to be having it more we need more on the other hand it's like is the contestant like protected um do are they gonna have any help handling what comes next and so I just I guess I watch it from both sides um and it's concerning um what we don't often see is too much interpretation of what happened it's usually like this bad thing happened to me then I realized that I need to not take life for granted um that is why I'm open with you now Mm -hmm. or like that's where I'm ready for love now but that's too simple of a story and we don't often see the person's like in-depth thoughts and feelings about what happened or really why they're sharing this and you don't see like you just see too tidy of a story instead of growth Um, And then as soon as there's any kind of complicated relationship dynamic that might be relevant to this, it's like they're gone off the show. So I think Zach Clark was an excellent advocate for all of this because it's what he does. Mm -hmm. This was in his past. He has made his life all about healing and recovery. And so he was perfectly positioned to have these conversations. Other people, I'm conflicted about whether they should be allowed on the show. I mean, I don't, I don't like taking away people's freedom and agency. So I don't want the bachelor to start saying, Oh, you know, because you were suicidal two years ago, you shouldn't be on the show or, Oh, you know, because your mental health isn't in tip top condition you don't deserve to be here. On the other hand, I know how traumatizing the show can be. And so when I see a contestant like Ben and I don't know what kind of mental state he was on when he went on the show, he's probably, he might've been totally fine. It's just that the way he was portrayed I was, I felt like I was watching somebody who could be very, very hurt Mm -hmm. by this whole experience. And that was a little scary. Yeah, no, it's, I completely agree. And I also think part of the reason, like, I think that kind of, as you said, like that, that the reason this, it's like, um, this happened to me and then, which is why I'm looking for love now. Mm-hmm. And like that kind of has to be the narrative because at the end of the day, the leads aren't therapists. Like they yeah. are not clinically trained to have that conversation to begin with. They're not clinically trained to respond in, in, aside mm-hmm. from saying like, I, I hear you. And I think in this recent season, like Michelle has been doing a really good job of like validating everyone's experience, but Aside from that, she can't really do anything. She can't like offer advice. She can't because yeah. And unless every lead they hire is like a licensed therapist, which would be awesome. <laughs> like, I just think it's a really scary way to set up the show. And like exactly as you said, because not only are they you know saying this to a person that they're romantically interested in, it's being filmed and then shown to the entire world of people who may not even believe that mental health is a real thing or like you know or when you know when you spoke to like people talking about when like talking about race relations and race issues like just to a lot of people who are uneducated in all different areas so it's it is I guess it makes for good tv in some ways but it's 
crossing a line that I think it doesn't that that didn't need to be crossed in order to still have a really a, a show that you know you want to keep watching every week for the character dy- dynamics. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess what grosses me out about it is that it's such an expectation for every season. Like if they you know, if they happen to get someone who was like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really open to talking about these things. I think that they're important. I think it's necessary for bringing this relationship forward. Like, sure. But the fact that it's so written into the script every season, it's like, are you choosing people specifically for their traumatic backgrounds? Are you pressuring them into having these conversations? Is there a real point to these conversations other than like, um titillating people mm-hmm. <laughs> so right it's just the it's like the mandatory nature of it just is off-putting to me um yeah yeah one thought I had actually I when I was speaking to my my friend Alana on her podcast um she had this idea and I was like this that's genius where she mm-hmm. thinks that like <laughs> instead of like the fantasy suites being the big you know deal there should be a uh-huh. point where like the final four or like the final three or whatever um all like go like the final each of the final four contestants let's say go with the the lead and meet with a couples counselor uh-huh. <laughs> and like the couples counselor mediates the conversation and it's kind of like that show couples therapy where you know it's real people and I love that show, by the way. I haven't watched it, but I need to watch it. It's amazing. Yeah. So maybe they they should bring her on, and like that way they can have these real conversations with a couple's therapist, and like talk about things that you know that they maybe would talk about in the fantasy suite. Like this, you know, I'm worried. I'm concerned about this, and like, yeah, I think it'd be interesting, and I think it would make for both good TV and a good relationship. And now I'm like, hmm, <laughs> like do I have a new job <laughs> that I'm aiming to get in my in my future. But um, but in all seriousness, I'm like, it actually I think would be a lot better than you know all this stuff coming out on the men tell all or like the after the final rounds. Yeah. it would be complicated legally because of confidentiality, mm-hmm. which is um. I mean, I don't know a lot of reasons why they haven't done it, but it would be, it would be interesting, like because that's all basically. I mean, that instead of just telling a story, it's like no, let's actually see what part of the relationship can be affected. Another thing, I mean, you're just talking about in general, talking about like trauma sharing, and whether that's a good way to start a relationship. That can be a complex question, also because. I would never, ever want to discourage somebody from opening up about their, you know, their trauma or their, or, or where they came from or their story with the person that they're dating, because I think openness is important. And, um, I don't think that trauma is anything to be ashamed of. On the other hand, if you don't feel ready to share that, then don't. (laughs) And, um, and the thing is like two people can often form a really strong bond because they feel like they've gone through similar things or they've like people um, who come from like abusive childhoods will often find a really deep connection in each other. And the problem with that is that if they haven't successfully healed and really been like living their life in a new state, they can reinforce each other's negative beliefs and behaviors unwittingly. Um, you know, because somebody who's been abused may have a lot of core beliefs that, you know, of being unlovable or, um, of, of thinking like, oh, you know, the, the way the person treat me in the past, that's a normal way to be treated in the future. They, even if they think like, no, I've moved past this, there might be some kind of, it might be a bit, um, uh, etched into them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so two people coming from like similarly traumatic experiences can reinforce unhealthy coping habits and beliefs. Um, and so that's also kind of a consideration. Um, yeah, I don't, I forget why I, I forget why I went on that tangent. Um, no, that's actually it. It's funny because I, I one thing I'm really, 
another well, another thing I'm really fascinated with, um, kind of in in a similar vein of just like the relationship between dating and having you know whether it's a history of mental illness or um, a traumatic experience in your past, um, mm-hmm. and just like that overlap with dating, and it's definitely something that I've struggled finding the balance with um and I've had it it's funny because I've had numerous like I've had a um a matchmaker on the podcast to talk about it and I had a someone who has a dating podcast on um who spoke to it but I haven't like both times I've spoken with people it's been just kind of like a conversation with neither of us having a clinical background and I thus like Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because as an example like I have definitely found myself in the past going on um like a date and you know and struggling to say okay and, and struggling as to like how much do I share with this person who I've just met and mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's hard because you know some for example if I mentioned that I have a podcast and they say yeah. oh that's cool what's your podcast about I'm like oh it's about mental right. health oh yeah. what made you start about mental health and like what you're already in the conversation exactly <laughs> like I I mean, I'm either going to lie and say like, oh, I just randomly chose it. I can say, you know, oh, oh, you know, I've battled a lot of anxiety, depression and an eating disorder in my past. Like, no, mm-hmm. I could say, oh, I lost a, a friend to suicide. Also, mm-hmm. not exactly what I want to be talking about on like my first date meeting a person. So it's this balance of. I'm not ashamed of my past and I'm not, you know, ashamed of obviously I'm not ashamed of losing my friend and I understand it's a very like quick left turn of a conversation but at the same time I also know if I were like on the receiving end I'm like would I is that something I'd want to want to talk about but it's it's like this fine balance of wanting to get deep with someone on a on a date and oversharing and I, I mean I was a chronic oversharer so Same. I mean I <laughs> yeah. I was like telling my friend I was like well, I'm definitely been guilty of being like oh like I'm like that I'm literally that meme that's like me I'm a very private person also me like so do you want to s- start with the little traumas or get right to the heavy stuff like mm-hmm. that's literally <laughs> me in a nutshell but I also recognize that that's probably not the best way to approach friendships or dating or just a lot of things. Um, so I guess I'd love your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, outside of the bachelor world and just in a normal conversation. I mean, I don't have a tidy answer. Um, I think it's important for, to look at like, what's the function of why we do the things we do. We do a lot of things that are actually designed around avoiding our own emotions. Um, so Maybe we overshare. I'm trying to think of like an example. Um, maybe we overshare to get reassurance from another person because um, we would rather not sit in the uncertainty of our own anxiety. Like, will they accept me? Will they accept me? Will they accept me? Oh, okay, well, I'll just share right now, and then they'll give me the reassurance, and then I can I can feel better about myself. That would probably not be a good way to overshare, or a good reason to overshare because what you're doing is actually avoiding your own emotional experience. If however, you overshare because you're actually quite comfortable talking about these things and you, it's a point of interest, then that's, that's a different function. And then it's like, okay, well, that other person, you risk them being overwhelmed. Fine. And then you can make the decision. Like, do I want somebody who gets overwhelmed that easily? That doesn't make them a bad date. A lot of people probably would, but it's just kind of on you. But at least then you're not um, you're not holding your well being in your hands in the same way. Um, it's not oh I'm I'm sharing with them so that they give me something back or so that they affirm me or make me feel okay. It's I'm sharing with them just because I find this interesting and I'm totally open about it. So I would always just kind of look at, look at why why you do the things that you do, and that can be 
a complex conversation to have with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are some, I, it's hard because like dating naturally comes with a lot of loss and a lot of perceived failure, which is really just like two people just didn't work out together. And if you can be okay with that, then you can, you can go kind of messily forth and say, some nights I'm going to have these mind bending and like amazing connected conversations where we're talking until three in the morning about maybe it is your trauma or about mental health or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, like that relationship might crash and burn. I think, I think it's always, I think the best way to approach dating is to be accepting of the fact that like, there's no perfect way to do it and you're going to get hurt and that's okay. But I would say like, if there's something about you, if there's something about what you've been through that you actually don't want to hand over, especially in the beginning, then that's a perfectly legitimate thing to not do. Um, if you don't want to talk about your friend's suicide on a first date, then I mean, totally understandable. You know what I mean? If you're going to be totally devastated by getting really deep with somebody and getting really vulnerable and then them leaving you or ghosting you, then maybe protect yourself a bit more. It's just tough because it's like, I don't, I don't want to advocate people being overly protected and not sharing, but I, and that's why I just say, go back to the function. Like, Mm -hmm. are you doing what you're doing to avoid feeling something worse? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it, I mean, have you read Daring Greatly by Mm -hmm. Renee Brown? No. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you have, A, you have to read it. (laughs) And be like you literally just spoke to like one of her chapters and for context. So I was on a I was reading I like I listened to a lot of um, like memoirs and books like that on tape because I like to listen to them when I run. And I was yeah. I I like have seen her, you know, her TED talk, obviously, on vulnerability and all of that. And so when I started listening to her book, I thought I kind of knew how the whole book was going to go. And then she gets to a chapter about the difference between oversharing and vulnerability. And I was on like the Ladybird Lake trail in Austin on my run. And she starts talking about the difference. And I'm like listening to her describe oversharing and specifically like floodgating or is that what she calls it? Floodlighting or yeah, floodlighting. <laughs> um, and I was like, whoa, what's that? It's basically when you're sharing something for your own benefit, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a quote that she has that says, like, oversharing is not vulnerability. In fact, it often results in disconnection, distrust, and disengagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and basically how – and then floodlighting is, like, when – you're sharing something kind of as you said to for for your own not necessarily like selfish benefit but you know to affirm something um maybe it's so that you feel better or so that you feel like oh if I if I let them know about these things that I've gone through um mm-hmm. maybe they'll accept me maybe they'll love me um maybe they'll you know think that I'm right I'm breaking down a wall for them and I've definitely been more so on that side than on the side of having a a wall up in my life. And I think ironically what Brene Brown says is like they're the same thing is that by creating like by letting your whole guard down, it's almost like a way to say, okay, well, here's all of me like hurt me now or like Mm -hmm. or in this way they can't hurt me later because they have everything they need to right. know. And so when I was listening to her talk about that on my run, I was like, I feel so targeted. Like this is exactly <laughs> what I do. And it was just so enlightening because it, it's my whole, like prior to reading that, I was always like, I'm so open and, you know, I'll talk about anything, but I'm the first one to admit that like, there's so much of the reason that I went into the mental health profession was to, figure myself out and to kind of mm-hmm. be, you know, a, a, and to make sure that I didn't repeat the mistakes of my past and of my parents and like a, a lot of quote unquote selfish reasons. But 
Yeah. I'd never really put that together with like, that's how I approach dating or that's how I approach friendships. Yeah. I mean, to give a, a light example, um, I have ADHD and I tell pretty much everybody that I have ADHD. And I know that I do this for a couple of reasons, some of which are not probably very good. One reason I do it is to try to explain to people that the reason I don't answer texts or that I'm, I'm late, you know, or a whole host of other behaviors is like not personal. Another reason I do it is so that there will be a sympathetic reason for my bad behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know I do that. It's bad. I don't advise other people to do this, but it's like, you know, that that's kind of one of the things that I need to get a handle on is like, am I actually telling people this so that I can excuse myself and not have to work on myself and not have to better, you know, it's just show them a sort of a better face. Um, or am I doing this really so that I can connect better with people? And I think that I've done both. And I just think that that's like, that's a lighter, I, I, I think AD, I mean, ADHD, like for me, is just like a, a lighter issue than tra- trauma or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it just, the thing about the word overshare, right. Is that it's all a matter of interpretation. You can tell your entire life story to somebody and it's not considered an overshare. Um, if they're not uncomfortable by it, if you're not uncomfortable by it, if it's not masking some deeper kind of insecurity, like if there's a really legitimate um, values forward reason for you to be sharing, then doesn't necessarily make it an overshare. On the other hand, an overshare could be something like really, really small if it's just not kind of calibrated to the person you're talking to. But I think that's good insight, you know, like I saw this happening actually on The Bachelorette this season when Martin was talking about um, how he expresses emotions and she thanked him for opening up. And I didn't think he necessarily, this was the, f- the first date they had. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he necessarily did anything wrong here, but I also didn't think he was opening up. It seemed like something he was very comfortable talking about. Um, and he was using like, Oh, sometimes I can be brutally honest and, and brusque in a way that offends people. And that's just how I, yeah, that's just how I communicate. And like, Oh, you know, I wasn't raised with a lot of emotional. It's like, okay that's great, but you still have to work on it. Yeah. It doesn't excuse the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. excuse it. Um, that's such a good example. And I think I love the example you gave because it's, you know, it, it's two perfect example. It's two perfect like reasons of like that answer the question of, you know, why am I sharing this? And is it mm-hmm. so that they, you know, understand like, and don't think that I'm mad at them if I don't answer a text or is it, you know, does it benefit them or does it benefit me kind of? And Mm -hmm. like, and I think that can also apply to like a ton of, for example, when I, when I do, you know, open up about um, my friend's passing, like sometimes it's necessary, especially like this time of year, for example, like is when it happened during the holidays. So, the holidays tend yeah. to be a really rough time for me. And I, my, my close friends know that. Um, and they know that during this time of year, I, if I'm, you know, especially down or if I don't want to go out or, you know, if I'm crying a lot, like they know that like if I turn down plans, I'll have to take it personally. And if I'm mm-hmm. having it and they know to be there for me because it's a rough time. And in that way, it's like, okay, I think that's an appropriate, at least from in, in my experience, like the most appropriate way I've found to like share that part. Whereas thinking in other reasons when I, you know, if I, when I, mm, I don't really, I guess, talk about my history of depression too flagrantly, but if I were to, I think more often than not, I'd probably be doing it as a way to say, you know, just, I, I think it would be more of a selfish reason. And, and I can't think at least in this point, because I've done so much work on myself, I get, I can't think much reason that it would benefit someone else unless someone else was, you know, struggling. And I wanted to say, listen, I've been there and yeah. I, I, you know, if you want to talk to someone, I'm here as opposed to me saying it without, like an invitation to, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I guess this sort of brings me to another 
thought, which is it's okay sometimes to share about mental health and there's no benefit to the other person. Like that's totally okay. And I, and I would encourage people to seek support. Mm -hmm. I think you have to think about the long-term consequences. Like if you're seeking support from a first date, you're probably not going to get it. I mean, you'll, maybe you'll get support for the rest of the night, but then you could actually cut off longer, long, longer term support from that person because they weren't the right person to take on that role. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think if you, were to talk to me about your depression, for instance, like I wouldn't be th sitting there thinking like Zoe's being so inappropriate or she's doing this selfishly or, or, or anything like that, because it's just, it is something that you went through and it's important for friends to understand that. Um, but it's just like who you talk to, why, when, you know, and I don't want people to be like agonizing over this kind of thing and being like, Oh, was it, should I not have said that on my date last night? Or was it it's like, I, again, like I'm a total, I edge on the side of openness. And so I don't think that that's necessarily bad. It's just, it can have its pitfalls, pitfalls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the, I mean, I completely agree. And I think that's where, um, in that, that Brene Brown chapter, she says like, ask yourself those checklists, which is like, why mm -hmm. am I sharing this? What outcome am I hoping for? What emotions am mm -hmm. I experiencing? Um, is there a response that will hurt my feelings or a lack of response that might hurt my feelings? Um, is the sharing in the service of connection? Like just kind of like, I think that's the best way to approach it is to take a step back and say, okay, you know, why am I saying this? And, and as you said, also beating yourself afterwards, up, beating up yourself afterwards won't help in any way. Um, yeah. I mean, I think really what therapy tries to do is like get you really clear on why you do things mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and, and to, and to really understand your behavior, you have to understand your emotions and, and all the components that come into emotions. Like, what are my thoughts? What are my physical sensations? What are my behaviors? Like, why, 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 why am I doing these things? And that's not to get you to overthink. It's just to see like, what in my life is not working for me? And can I break it down into its little bite-sized pieces and go after it? And so if you are somebody who immediately goes in and shares your trauma, it's like, with people and it doesn't work out for you, then it's just something to potentially examine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think like, if you're somebody who feels like in order to connect with another person, you have to find another person who's hurt or who's traumatized, then there are also pitfalls to that relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's another reason so. to go to therapy to figure out why that, that you do that. <laughs> Constant plugs. Constant yeah. plugs. Um, so wow this is so wild because usually I wrap up with like questions I ask every person but you've already answered them but I do have <laughs> I do have I think wait is it two or three questions oh I have three questions I want to ask you okay the sure. first question um is what song would be the soundtrack of your life oh god <laughs> uh <laughs> oh Kind of like think of or your favorite song <laughs> well I was gonna say I was gonna say like the first song that popped into my head should not be the soundtrack of my life and I don't think it is which is Disneyland by Dada I just like how that guy just like goes and fucks some shit up real quick and he's like I'm going to Disneyland it's <laughs> just like the song that popped up but I don't actually feel like I live my life that way in any way so then that uh that trapped me from thinking of more maybe realistic songs my favorite song is estranged by guns and roses i'm a huge guns and roses fan but um again i i feel like i when i was younger i like connected more with like the the lyrics and the content of music mm -hmm. and now i i listen to it more for the um sorry there's some background noise and um, just for the mood effects yeah <laughs> instead of like really getting um I don't know, emo involved in the song like I probably used to with Guns N' Roses. But... No, I it's actually I actually saw them live when I was seventeen. Mm -hmm. uh, at I've seen them live three times. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I I can't say I I, I knew a, more than two songs, but it was awesome I was seeing them rock out. Like however old they are, I was like, damn. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, like I hope to be that happy when I'm like I don't know 70 um, my second question is and this goes kind of back to the beginning of my conversation about my grandma who 
is my charismatic mm-hmm. adult. And I don't really know the definition behind a charismatic adult, but basically how I see it is it's like the person who made you who you are and like kind of instilled in you a confidence that has carried you out throughout your carried you throughout your life um with mine being my grandma so who is your charismatic adult and why yeah mine's my mom um I feel like I've gone on podcasts and gushed about her so much she never she never knows um she is someone who is very much herself and she really embraced being weird and also being charming and so she I don't know. She was just like such a hero for me because she's this like very charming, fascinating woman who was never afraid to like be herself or share her opinions or lie down on the floor while listening to um, paint it black (laughs) in the middle of a dinner party. Um, And she was just always, she's like the, I guess the definition of a secure attachment for me. Like I'm someone who explores a lot. I go out into the world. I'd have, I take risks And I feel like she has just been this constant, like she's had her values and I've tested them. Um, (laughs) She was deaf. She was kind of like a, you know, safe sex for marriage or the one you really love type person. And I'm like, (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) she's just somebody who like, I knew would always accept me ultimately and would always stand in my corner, even if she disagreed like with what I was doing. And so I feel like she's allowed me to go out and explore and be curious and always kind of come back and feel like I had a grounded sense of family and culture. So yeah. I love that. Mom. That's, that's so nice. And that's, I think everyone needs that kind of secure attachment of someone who's always going to be in their corner. Yeah. Um, my last question is what, like tell me what happened with the engagement. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you had a mischievous look in your eye. I was like, Oh no, what's I know, coming? I'm so excited. <laughs> Full story. Um. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so we, we proposed to each other. I proposed first like a month ago and then, but I knew he was going to, okay. To back up, Paul and I met two years ago, like three months before COVID COVID hit and we started quarantining together. So our relationship got super um, serious, super fast, which was definitely new for me. I was a huge commitment phobe. And um, all that is really just to say that we started talking about marriage and kids really early on in our relationship. And so the idea of like a really simple proposal where he just says like, would you marry, like, will you marry me was like, it wouldn't have the same, it wouldn't have the effect it would have for other people. Cause it'd be kind of like, duh. Yeah. We've talked about this a thousand times, like from the first month of our relationship. <laughs> so that is just to explain why we went super epic with our proposals. So, um, I had a fertility issue back in July that I thought was going to be chronic. It turns out it's not. And that really made me come to terms with like, okay, I need to stop fucking around. Like, is this my person? Are they not? And I decided yes. And we basically started planning our wedding then and there. But Paul is someone who does like big, epic, grand gestures. And so he started planning the like the world's coolest proposal, um, which is basically so along with the fertility issues. So I'm out here right now in California with my friend Caroline from the show and I'm freezing my eggs for the second time. And part of this is we're doing an egg freezing documentary with our doctor, Dr. Amy. And this woman named May is directing it and filming it. So last time I was out here, I was doing a ton of filming and as part of filming, you do something called B-roll, which is basically like kind of like filler scenes to give the story more of a like connective tissue. And so I've been painting this painting of a pregnant woman. Um, and she, you know, she'll just film us like cooking and doing stuff like that. So when I came out this time, I was supposed to film B-roll on Friday at an art gallery. And I was like, oh, this makes sense because I'm painting the all right, we'll just walk around this art gallery. So Caroline and Kendall are here. We've got this plan for filming. We show up, they're miking me up. We're walking around this gallery and like, do, 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 do. And then I see this painting that is really different from the style of the rest of the work. And I'm like, that's weird. That looks just like Paul's style of painting. Uh, and I say that out loud and no one says anything. And this really like creepy feeling came over me. Cause I'm like, wait, what is, it's a kind of twilight zone-ish feeling. Like what is going on? Um, this is a and documentary, then I see this... <laughs> not like I know, I know this is not doc- fiction. <laughs> 
And I think the idea, because apparently when he came out and proposed, I said, I knew it. So I guess the, the thought had dawned on me, but I remember going through a whole Rolodex of things. Like as soon as I saw the signature, I was like, that's Paul's signature. Did somebody steal the signature? Did he steal the signature? Like what is going, how are these two? No one's answering my questions. Everyone's just standing around like this is totally normal. Paul was apparently supposed to come out pretty immediately, but May, the director, held him back. So I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck, what the fuck, what the fuck, what's going on? And then he comes out around the corner and I'm in San Ramon, California, which is like, we're an hour out of San Francisco, which means it's a really weird place for anybody you don't expect to show up. It's like, it's just such a random place. So he comes out, proposes in front of the painting. The painting was actually a depiction of him proposing to me. Oh my gosh, Um, I'm chilled. Yeah. So he, so he proposes, I say, yes, they're filming the whole thing for the documentary. Kendall's taking pictures. And then all of a sudden my, a bunch of my friends come out the door and that I'm just like completely floored. I'm like, I, there was like 13 people flew out or something. And then my parents come through the door. So I'm like, all these people flew to this random ass (laughs) town in California. (laughs) All to surprise me. Um, and then I realized, you know, they've all been in cahoots with each other for months. Kendall wasn't even freezing her eggs. Like I thought she was freezing her eggs with me, but she's doing it next month. So she was going in for fake doctor's appointments with Amy and like Amy gave her fake shots to take. She never actually had to shoot herself. She thought she might, but yeah, of like water or something. I was just the amount of like lying and deceit that went into this is just like cracks me up so much, you know, cause it's such a you know, typically a red flag. I'm like, why am I surrounded by all these incredibly talented liars? <laughs> wow. And then, yeah, we went. So um, we went on a boat ride because I love boats. And then Paul and I went to Michelin star restaurant, uh, which I was, I was like severely hungover from the night before, which was the, the only like part of this that went sideways was like Caroline and Kendall accidentally let me get too drunk. <laughs> And then you're like, I really want to go to food tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the next day, like Paul got in an Airbnb for everybody. So everybody stayed there. And then we all went to Napa in like a party bus the next day. And we're all just like wine tasting and stuff. So it was a pretty badass proposal. That's so and that was cool. a really long answer to your question. No, that is <laughs> such dedication. And mm-hmm. like the fake shots. and <laughs> the Wow. And also the like the getting the even like getting the painting on the gal in the gallery right wow exactly I have to give a huge shout out to Caroline here because she was the one who like found the gallery she like planned a lot of this with Paul she was in his phone as Colin Landry because otherwise he was like well what if she keeps calling and it's like weird that I keep talking to her friend from the bachelor and like yeah my mom's like she's been talking to my mom this whole time. I had no idea. I thought they'd had like a 15 second conversation once while I was on FaceTime with my mom, but apparently they've got this whole like friendship because they were planning stuff. It's just, it's crazy. I feel so very loved. Yeah. And you should, Oh, that makes me so happy and, and you deserve it. That's great. And thank you. And the best part is like, it's all going to be in your documentary. Yeah. I know. It's so so you'll get a rewatch. This random fertility documentary has my whole like proposal. No, that's awesome. I bet when when he like pro- no pun intended proposed that to the um, to like the I don't know producers or directors, they're probably like, yes, absolutely. Like uh-huh. this will be the best part of the movie. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, I didn't get my airtime on The Bachelor, but I got it on the fertility documentary. Damn it! That's so amazing. Uh, well, yeah. thank you so much, Jacqueline, for being here, for coming back on the podcast. It's as usual been so, so great to talk to you and you're just like seriously one of like the kindest people I've met. And I, I feel Thanks very so grateful for like meeting you and um, and learning from you and speaking to you. Where can everyone listen to your podcast and follow you and where will the documentary be? <laughs> Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me back on. Um, and I hope I see you again in person sometime. Yeah, I'll um, to San, San Mateo, California. <laughs> 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 or Durham. Um, yeah, so, or Durham, a little more normal. Or New York. You're still going to Columbia, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. So, yeah. Um, 
I, so I, the podcast is called a little help for our friends and it's on everywhere you watch podcasts. Um, but I also have it always in my, my bio on Instagram and, um, but so by the way, just like to give a little bit more background about that podcast, it's my co-host is Kibby McMahon. She's a clinical psychologist also from Duke university. We have uh, guest experts regularly and, um, some bachelor nation people as well. And we talk about like how to help our friends and family who are struggling. So my Instagram is Trumbolina. That's T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L-I-N-A. And that's basically where to find me. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Yeah. And bye, everyone. <laughs> bye.